0: 93% of your life is spent indoors, but so many of our favorite moments are outdoors. The fresh air, the feeling of peace, since warmer weather is almost here, let's make the most of it with Outer, the new outdoor furniture company with purposely designed furniture to get you outdoors more.
1: Outer makes the world's most beautiful, comfortable, innovative, and high-quality outdoor furniture, all from sustainable materials. I love the new outdoor dining table and chairs I just bought. It looks great in my backyard, and it's the perfect setup for hosting a dinner party. Go to liveouter.com slash the
0: Founder Hour to see all the incredible products they have to offer. For a limited time, get 10% off and free shipping. That's liveouter.com slash the Founder Hour. Terms and conditions apply. Hey everyone, before we get into the episode, just a quick reminder, if you enjoy what you hear, please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That way you get notified when new episodes drop. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, at the Founder Hour. Let's get into it. Our guest today is Sophia Amoruso. Sophia is a renowned entrepreneur, bestselling author, and an inspiration to many. She first gained recognition as the founder and CEO of Nasty Gal, an online retailer of trendy and vintage clothing, which started as a small eBay store and grew into a multi-million dollar fashion empire. Her memoir, Girlboss, became a New York Times bestseller, empowering entrepreneurs to fearlessly pursue their passions. She went on to build and sell Girlboss Media and currently runs Business Class, a digital course for entrepreneurs, while also investing in founders through her newest venture, Trust Fund. Please enjoy our conversation with Sophia Amoruso. So we always like to start from the very, very beginning of, of, of where our guests were born and what they were like as a kid. So uh, I think I saw you were born in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Um, what was young you know, Sophia like?
2: Oh man, very misunderstood and I think uh, angsty from just a very young age. And I don't know if that's my parents' fault or if that's just kind of how I came out. Um, But didn't really quite follow the rules. Um, Yeah, you had to tell me a few times not to do something.
0: What's a really bad thing you did as a kid that you can remember? Or that you were told you did maybe?
2: I guess in Montessori, I like painted on the walls in the bathroom with my poop oh shit that's pretty bad like that's insane i don't know like yeah i don't know i mean
1: it's either insanity but today it's probably art
2: i don't know i I guess i was creative and resourceful yeah you know
1: i mean like if you were like a famous artist and you just took a canvas and you use your own poop and it painted it, or just slapped it on. It would sell for a few million dollars. <laughs> if today. I
2: became an artist later on, it would be an integral part of my story. I don't think it quite—it doesn't <laughs> quite connect to yeah. what it is that I'm doing <laughs> yeah. now. But you know, we, or if we you could did, make like, something up
1: every decade, like how poop evolves,
2: yeah, just what different <laughs> bodily right. something right. I decide to get creative with. And you call right.
1: the you call the like series that's that shit I don't like.
2: Yeah i don't i don't like like i think poop. i think poop is funny with someone when someone says the word poop i'm like <laughs> yeah. yeah but like yeah. i don't really I like chuckle. i don't any like any artist
0: feels this laugh.
1: idea by the way you know where you heard it first
0: it's just a matter of time and I mean, yeah the way we're headed yeah. like that's for sure gonna happen yeah something's some
1: gonna happen i was soon. just
2: checking out my microbiome yeah. you know
1: yeah. I was, yeah
0: yeah 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 can't eat tomatoes
3: mm-hmm.
0: yeah same <laughs> Not true. so um okay so what i guess ultimately like were you interested in though like you know what kind of things did you like to do or spend your time doing
2: i mean i left san diego when i was seven we moved to beautiful sacramento um I this on the word beautiful yeah i liked i rode bikes a lot i was kind of a tomboy i rode bikes with my dad uh down to the fish hatchery and I um, played soccer and listened to music. I've just, the music has always been mm. a big part of my identity and what I love spending my time doing. Listening to music is an actual activity, something that yeah, plays in the background when I'm making dinner, but also I can sit for an hour and just listen to music. And that's, that's a, that's a thing. What kind um, of music? It's really varied. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, You graduate through these different phases. And so it's like, wow, I bought this Nirvana album. I'm in sixth grade. And then it's like, whoa, Green Day. And then you're like, oh, pop punk. And you're like, ooh, Fat Records. And, you know, whatever, kind of blink, what 82. I wasn't like a huge fan. My first concert was The Offspring. Hmm. And then I never get into hardcore, but you can kind of like get into hardcore from there. You can get into metal from there. There's just kind of like, if you keep progressing, they're like, different levels of you know and so my taste i guess since then has spanned everything from like minimalist composer music and like kraut rock Mm -hmm. and uh psychedelia and like international music and like it's pretty broad and now there's an algorithm i mean it used to be you had to like know people who like knew about stuff and it was like hard to find and people were like ripping stuff off of records that weren't you know hadn't been re-released and you're like oh my god we're the only people that have this and now it's like you can have the most obscure taste with an algorithm yeah um and that's cool like yeah i earned it and now i've set my algorithm into um you know a uh direction that i end up being really happy with and it's so cool Mm -hmm. that discovery doesn't require as much work Right. as it used to and i don't have the time to under, like, dig around looking for on their algorithm? i know and i'll hear it at, like a goofy coffee shop and i'll be like man do Damn. they even know what <laughs> this is the song already yeah and then i'm like you're a dick and you don't even know what it is like
1: <laughs> <laughs> so no. if you, you talk about you know you don't know if you came out that way or if it was your parents uh are you talking about just the way you were like a rebel were they rebels kind
2: of no not really i mean but my dad's kind of tough he was kind of a challenging person to grow up with and i wasn't you know i wasn't coddled really um i was an only child so i guess i got a lot of attention but it was more like okay my mom was working weekends selling houses and my dad was like all right i'm gonna go on a bike ride you happen to be behind me keep up Mm. um yeah i mean yeah definitely but also it was like cool it wasn't like yay we're going on a bike ride it was fun but i was like you know all right let's go i've always been really competitive um but and not a great team player you know in soccer i would take the ball and just go straight to the goal you and just know throw it in there yeah just i was just it, like Cody. i'm gonna yeah a throw and it's like there. <laughs> no dude you pass it like there's yeah. there's more to it you just yeah. have to maybe be a little bit more strategic and planful and i think that kind of impulsivity you know, has something that's, uh, unfortunately persisted throughout my life and something I really try to manage, but there's also something kind of really beautiful about just throwing paint at the wall in life and seeing what sticks, but when it dries, it's really hard to get off
1: mm-hmm, sometimes, mm-hmm. you know? So not a rule player.
2: No. What, what do
1: you, why, why do you think that is?
2: Um, I think I was like a pretty smart kid. I think I knew I was smart. I didn't know why I was in this school where we were sitting in some place at 7.30 in the morning and then a bell rang and an hour later, we literally moved to a different room, sat at a desk, listened to somebody, did what they said, and then another bell rang and then you moved to a different desk. Like, what are you training me for?
3: Yeah.
2: Um. You know, I, both lazily and angst illy i guess i don't know if that's a word um didn't like the idea of like work or capitalism i was going to the anarchist book fair in san francisco and high school and ended up homeschooling my my senior year of high school because i just hated it and everybody got super phony and all the girls were like hey and like hugging each other and we're not like laughing about like farts and tampons anymore Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. like and i just kind of stayed that person yeah yeah and i didn't like i, didn't I feel you in. like in
0: high school it starts becoming a little bit more like clicky and if you don't yeah. conform and just kind of be part of the groups or whatever yeah. and you're just kind of off on your own then it's really hard to just make it in high school it I, essentially homeschool i think is senior here too I, was, I mean i i, I was <laughs> still enrolled i uh, just didn't go to school no. yeah yeah be- i was because for the same I reason I don't think I was he, was home school, he
1: was just home yeah i just didn't like this. i moved out when i was 17 yeah. so i was
2: like <laughs> she could like email me my homework and I was like, I was going to go, I'm going to go snowboarding. It counts yeah. as like PE, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like your parents, I'm sure had a very easy time raising you.
2: Yeah, it was, it was a great, you know, I was yeah. really misunderstood. My mom just kind of didn't know what to do with me. Yeah. She did her best. I would have been much better in a different kind of learning environment. I don't learn by listening. I learn by like touching and it's a very inefficient way of learning. Because I go try a bunch of things and instead of taking advice, I just go do all the things until I understand why that person gave me that advice because Mm -hmm. other people have already done it and there's often a lot of truth to it. But I am always go kind of the long route to it because when I do land on the answer, there's some level of muscle memory or something and Mm -hmm. conviction for what it is that thing is that Um, you don't necessarily get when you take things at face value, but a lot of really smart people take things at face value and they can move a lot more quickly for, Mm. through the world, Mm -hmm. um, without making as many mistakes. I just never figured out how to do that.
0: Yeah. Was
1: it fun for you to be, I mean, this is like 17 years old, 18 years old, almost like, was it fun for you to be rebellious or just that's all you knew? Like that was your nature.
4: It
2: was my nature, but it was also fun, Yeah, you know, being resourceful and yeah. just being out of my parents' house. Like, that was huge. It wasn't the happiest place, you know? I think when you're an only child, uh, you don't have a sibling to be like, ha-ha, whatever. They're just doing their thing and yeah. go off. You know, it's, it's very kind of lonely, and it's easy to be like, is this normal? What's normal? Are other people's families like this? And there's no one to kind of hang out with and... I guess go through that with. So I was I was stoked to leave. Yeah, there was like a pairing of a natural angst with, um, you know, the culture that comes that really works for people who are angsty, which is kind of like, you know, live outside of the rules. I didn't realize that I was ambitious. I just thought I was like a free thinker, and it wasn't until I had a job or I made a job for myself um, where I could put one foot in front of the other and I could feel my way around in the dark and do one thing better. And then it worked. And a customer was happy. And then I did it better next time. I was like, oh, like this is really cool. And it's not right. about the money. I just love learning. You don't often learn in a work environment. You know, until I started Nasty Gal as an eBay store in late 2006, I was working like, I was working like retail jobs mm. for like you know, ten and twelve dollars an hour in like shoe stores and lobbies. And, and you were
1: still in Sacramento at the time.
2: Sacramento. I didn't. I worked in high school. I started at Subway and oh. I worked at a Borders Books and then I worked at like the factory outlet. Yep. Um, and when I moved out, eventually I wound up in uh, San Francisco and worked at a photo lab and a record store and a shoe store and bopped around a lot. and Did some community college, but. Um, the record store was fun because I was learning. Photo lab was fun because I loved photography. Yeah. But most of the jobs were really kind of like sit here, do this, wait till the day's over. And I was like, "Whoa, this is yeah, this is work. This is what people spend their lives doing." Though mm-hmm. so I didn't understand work until I started this eBay thing that yeah. became so much more.
0: Would you say you were someone that had like pretty high self confidence, or? not really like did you were you someone that thought i believe in myself i know i can be successful in life i just you know i don't i don't know what i need to do yet but i at least i believe in myself
2: i did think i was special because my parents told me i was special yeah and i thought i was smart but i didn't want to apply it to anything conventional because that just seemed like really boring um I don't think I was confident. I think I was just trying to survive doing things that I didn't hate. And the eBay store wasn't like, the word success was not in my vernacular. Mm -hmm. It was, how can I not do these things that I hate? And let's just give it a shot. Mm -hmm. And then realized, oh shit, I'm resourceful. Oh shit. I'm ambitious and entrepreneurial in words that, you know, I hadn't really spent much time thinking about, but, um it was it was by trying to avoid work that i wound up creating a really big job for myself
1: Mm -hmm. and sophia at the time i mean you talk about 2006 like myspace was the only social media that i remember aside from maybe like tumblr because instagram came out or twitter might have started around 2006 there weren't people out there that you could necessarily say i want to be like this person or this person has a similar mindset to me and they just wanted to do things that also they enjoyed and they ended up being quote unquote successful or finding happiness or whatever it was. Yeah, You had to really chart your own path kind of blind and it could have con- gone completely the other way. Super so blind. like what gave you, I guess in hindsight, what gave you the foresight if any uh, to just start that eBay store?
2: Yeah. I mean the foresight was okay. So I was sitting in the lobby of an art school in San Francisco uh, checking student ids that was my job which is yeah. really funny because i stayed at the palace hotel for this like LPGP Ve- venture people conference which yeah. is a block away so i was like staying in from this hotel i never stepped foot in mm. when i worked in this lobby a block away and i could see it from there and i was like wow my life has changed a lot yeah. I'm staying at this place. Oh my God. And their Caesar salad was amazing. And the Wagyu burger was amazing. And I didn't know what fucking Wagyu was. Right. I don't think anybody did in 2006. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure nobody like,
1: still knows what Wagyu I is. Still don't they just know. buy it and it's I, expensive. And I don't
2: know if it's Wagyu or Wagyu, but whatever. Right. Um, no one knows. Yeah. Yeah. There was no artisanal coffee in San Francisco. Right. There was no like chefy, beautiful kind of restaurant. It was a really different time. Um, and so while I was sitting in this lobby, Often I had hours to spend just sitting on this computer on the internet and there wasn't that much to do. There wasn't a Facebook. There was MySpace. There was just Googling things. Yeah. Uh there was no I mean YouTube had just, I think, started. Mm-hmm. Um and I started getting friend requests on MySpace from people who were selling vintage clothing on eBay. And they had these store names that were kind of like brands, but they weren't really brands. But of course, everybody's eBay store has to have a name. And so it was okay. like Mama Stone Vintage and like Indie Cult Vintage. And I clicked on their profiles and I was like, whoa, like I wear vintage, I know where to find it. I clicked through to their eBay pages and these are all auctions. These people weren't setting the prices of their stuff, just people duking it out over something that. You know, collectively decided was valuable, and saw the prices of these auctions, and was like, "Oh my god, two hundred dollars for that! Mm-hmm. Like, I I know I can go get that at a thrift store
3: for like I, I, eight bucks or something for eight bucks."
2: Yeah. Um, and so. You know, I got my hernia fixed. I got that job to get health insurance because I had a pre-existing condition Mm -hmm. and couldn't get health insurance as an individual. That's changed since, but you had to go get a job to get group health insurance if you had a pre-existing condition. So I didn't even have health insurance before this job. So I got my little hernia fixed after I got my health insurance after waiting for three months, which was the period you had to wait in that job to get the health insurance. And then I just started, I was like, all right, I'm going to sell a few things. And they weren't the best and they didn't all really sell but it was through it was myspace where i got the idea mm-hmm. to do this yeah
1: shout out tom anderson
0: tom anderson and a few others yeah yeah uh-huh.
2: tom <laughs> so was
0: it i mean were people just like seeing it on myspace and then jumping there or did did people just like find out about it because ebay i mean in 2006 was ebay that popular
2: yeah. eBay was. Yeah,
0: I think it was probably even more popular. Probably more popular than it was <laughs> and there was
2: no Etsy. Right. Ecom was like there was no Shopify. Shopify. <laughs> That's right. It was like Z- Zappos was kind of happening. Amazon had happened. Mm-hmm. But that was a marketplace. eBay was a marketplace. But there was I don't remember any other marketplaces. Yeah. Um. And so yeah, marketplaces are great because you have your product there. People can discover it whether they're searching for it or not. They might be searching for something and then they scroll to the bottom of the page and there's related items and so you're able to capitalize on other sellers promoting themselves because your products are on you know this marketplace and myspace was an amazing thing to hack so yeah i i made the photos look good and i picked great stuff and i wrote awesome descriptions and i had a funny name for my business nasty gal that really cut through the noise and wound up being a good copywriter somehow. I'm not good at any one thing more than Where any others. Where did you come others. up with the name? Um. So I worked in that record store called Streetlight Records in Noe Valley in San Francisco. Yeah. It's not there anymore. And this album was re-released called Nasty Gal by a woman named Betty Davis, <laughs> who was married to Miles Davis for a short time and was allegedly too wild for him. <laughs> and she's just this like amazing funk singer, had an awesome rhythm section i loved her music and i was like i'll call it nasty gal um i almost called it i heart vintage believe it or not and i think i bought that url And thank god what like was i even the same person like yeah. how does the same person like think of those two names but i was like that'll be more commercial i was like whatever i don't think i knew the word commercial but yeah um was on myspace started doing what those people were doing started adding friends i could go to nylon magazine or cool magazines and see who they were following and just make friend added them as friends and then you know when they became a friend and accepted my request I would send them a message like hey thanks for you know check out my little ebay store and you know would post I don't know what you there. You would like your little blog thing, and every week when there was new stuff, I would bulletins, you know, do my little you know HTML with my FTP server and like upload my stuff to my MySpace page. But I found this thing, and I should have sold this idea to. I mean, whatever. It's basically like what Facebook and Google have done. It's not like I invented it. It was a bot that I found that was against MySpace's rules, but. You could, you know, because MySpace was all web based.
0: Mm -hmm. The thing I loved about MySpace is that everyone felt like they were like this badass coder. Like you could like Uh you could like you know customize your page and with HTML and all this cool stuff. Like you can't do that anymore. Everyone's page just looks the same.
4: Yeah,
2: it was like not only a reflection of your personality. Yeah, and your music taste. But like the eight top people, and you know, even you know, how capable you were at modifying a page and making it interesting and creative. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't, it's also about like your capabilities in some ways. Um, and so I got this bot that you could type in like the name of any member and everybody's profile, had their age on it, their gender, their location, who it is that they followed. And so I could actually type in such and such fashion magazine and women in new york between the ages of you know 18 and 32 and it would just start adding them i would push enter and every like 10 or so i had to sit at my computer and enter a captcha code Mm -hmm. and then it would just keep adding them and i just like i ended up with i don't know if it was 30,000 or 60,000 like friends on myspace yeah that was a big part of how i how I built it was like early hacking of social media.
0: Yeah, the good old internet so we're days. We do it. Yeah. So, um, how did how does it ultimately grow? And and at what point do you obviously take it off of eBay and have your own sort of platform yeah. website?
2: Yeah, it just it started growing. I I just did a lot of things differently and maybe better in some ways than other sellers. I was building a brand more than I was an eBay store, and realized. Wow, I'm driving so many people to eBay because I would see the same names over and over again. These people were, you know, who were buying. I was also seeing them on MySpace and engaging them on MySpace. So much was coming direct at that time. I was like, why am I doing all this work where someone can just scroll down and buy something from somewhere else? Mm -hmm. E commerce was really hard, launching your own website. There was, you know,
0: was it WordPress? I mean, what would you use?
2: Oh, I built it on something I think called Interspire. It was some oh, yeah. like Australian. Remember, remember it was, it? no. It was, yeah, I what it is it?
0: Freewebs.com was a free website it wasn't, maker. Oh, webs. yeah. Com slash it was
2: e-com. You had to have inventory. You had <laughs> yeah. to have shipping weights and you had to have like, right. be able to write a description and a title and a checkout. And this was like rubbing two sticks together at this time. So I hired a kid from high school, a friend named Cody Thomas who was like kind of like an engineer and um he had to like sl- i designed my first psd and this was a time where an engineer had to literally slice up a you know photoshop file and hard code an add to cart button onto the page and hard code the entire Crazy. you know navigation onto the page um and so you know built this little website dot nastygalvintage.com And then I don't know if I had a newsletter list or how I I think somehow I pulled email addresses off of eBay and told everybody and told MySpace um, that I had left eBay and launched this website and I had like 150 things on there and they all sold out right away.
1: And these are things you were just sourcing yourself.
2: Yeah. It was just me at the time, like.
1: Packaging, shipping, doing all that stuff.
2: Sourcing, steaming, shooting, editing the photographs, writing the descriptions, shipping everything, doing customer service, like everything. That's what it's, it sounds so impressive. People are like, wow. And it's like, that's what every eBay seller does.
0: Just for (laughs) a record. It's not that impressive. I was going to ask, like, did it feel like, I mean, did it feel like you were onto something big at the moment or was it just a means to get by and, you know, just make money to do the things you love to do?
2: When that store sold out, when I launched, and when Who at Where, which was a really big fashion newsletter, um, sent out a dedicated email to their entire audience about it because the two founders, Hillary Kerr and Catherine Power, were customers on eBay, mm. and Kelly Ripa's stylist was calling me from Los Angeles. I was in Benicia, California, in this weird shipyard. I don't know if you guys know the Bay Area, but it's like almost in Vallejo. Mm. Um, it's like... Almost an hour from San Francisco, but this is where I could get enough square footage that wasn't in my house to just house all this kind of, you know, dusty clothing.
1: And what year does this that remind me? This, this was point?
2: 2008. So. so the first year uh, on eBay, I did 75K in revenue, which was like a lot, you know, yeah. and I didn't spend the money. I didn't even know what like luxury was. And the next year was 250K. And the next year was one point one and that year was half eBay, half, you know, half um no, maybe that was two fifty K on the website. Anyway, regardless, pretty good margin. Seventy five. <laughs> yeah, two fifty, one point one, six and a half, and then pretty twelve. Mm-hmm. Um and that was just I didn't have debt. I didn't I didn't have credit. I bought a Porsche eventually, but I had to pay cash like years so later. With a briefcase. I just, And you're like
1: hundred percent owner.
2: owner. No partners. 12 million in revenue, $28 million run rate. This is by
1: 2012.
2: That was in 2012 when Index Ventures came in.
1: How did you go from that 1.1 to 12 million in just 12 months?
2: Well, it was 1.1 to 6.5 to
1: 12. So so yeah, 6X and then 2X. I just
2: sold more. It was no longer vintage. So I was, you know, the the beauty of eBay is that you can list things and they sit there for 10 days. You don't have to ship for 10 days. When you put something on a website. Yeah and it sells you gotta ship it and it's vintage you never use that photograph like it's gone you don't have inventory Mm -hmm. uh immediately and so i was like all right maybe i can go to a trade show and curate stuff based on everything i know about what this customer wants and what's selling and went to magic
3: uh this trade show in
2: vegas and ordered like a few of each thing you know the minimum minimum quantities like sometimes it was like three of a dress and six of a dress in different sizes and some of them were over 100 some of them were under 100 some were like a few hundred and saw what sold um and what didn't sell were 300 hundred dollar dresses mm. and that was just how nasty gal found its price point point. Mm. and there there i was able to Take one photo and write one description and sell six dresses. And the margin wasn't, oh, a $200 dress on eBay that I paid $8 for. But it was pretty high. Yeah,
0: at that volume. It was still very high. And it was still just you at this point? Uh, or did you That have,
2: I had hired my first employee and I think I had someone helping with shipping.
0: So still just like a couple of you doing couple, 12 million.
2: No, 12 million. So yeah, at that point. it was when it started picking up from- 250 to one point one to six and a half was when I started selling yeah. things that weren't vintage Got it. So, in addition so, to that and then 12 was just it was just it was just demand it was word of mouth it was almost all direct traffic um and I just I business to me was buy more things for more for less than you sell them for don't spend all the money
1: mm-hmm. very different than that business was it now, that's instantly. all I understood yeah, and now I'm buy venture higher and so no I'm a venture investor yeah, yeah. And, yeah. So totally I, I, I want to take it back just a little bit to like the audience creation aspect of um of the business uh because you know I think of brands now and fashion being one of the harder brands to, or being one of the harder industries to really collect and build an audience in but everything else to any CPG products I mean food anything really um it's really audience driven today. You know even if I'm an incredible founder with an incredible product it doesn't really matter unless I have people to sell it to was ebay that quote-unquote hack for you to build that audience early on
2: the myspace hack
1: the myspace hack the first i guess MySpace. MySpace. i mean
2: i got kicked off of ebay right when the website launched because i was leaving uh reviews not review yeah reviews for customers because they used to have like two-way reviews Mm -hmm. and they'd be like love my thing love my dress oh my god and then I'd be like, Checking "Hey, out NastyGalVintage.com is coming." Just redirect, and I just people. like copy paste, yeah, yeah. copy paste, yeah, copy yeah, yeah. paste. Like before, and there was like maybe a newsletter sign up. I don't know something there. Yeah, little did you know that um, they had their own bots. And looking so up. I was, yeah, I was like, <laughs> I was like building, you know, an audience for the website before right. yeah. it even launched. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was all it was all word of mouth. There was no, it was it was Zappos. There was. I mean there was there was nothing. There was no fat. it was like Nordstrom. Is there like
1: ASOS? ASOS
2: was like 2012, yeah. twenty twelve. maybe yeah. twenty eleven index yeah. who invested in Nasty Gal had yeah. invested in ASOS um as seen on screen. Yeah. Um I didn't and know so that. I mean it was Shopify didn't exist in twenty twelve, didn't exist in twenty thirteen. Like I had a huge mm-hmm. engineering team just to make a e com website it was so much more expensive. And so different at that time. Um, And there was so little. It wasn't that, it honestly was not that competitive.
0: You know, when it comes to legal help, I'm tired of hidden fees and complex billing structures. Isn't there a better way? Well, that's exactly what Decrypted Law offers. They're
1: pioneers in transparent, flat fee pricing for startups. And guess what? They even have a subscription service for fractionalized general counsel.
0: Subscription service for a law firm?
1: That's right. Decrypted Law is revolutionizing the way legal services are consumed. For a flat monthly
0: fee, startups can now have access to top-tier, on-demand legal counsel. Wow, that's a game-changer. No more bill shock, just clear, predictable costs. Decrypted Law, they're not just breaking down legal complexities, they're making legal services more accessible. Learn more and contact them at DecryptedLaw.com. Mention the founder of our podcast so they know who sent you.
1: Love Soda? Love Soda? Listen up. Introducing Olipop, a new kind of soda that's actually good for you. It's the fastest growing beverage brand in America, and here's why you'll love it too. Gut health matters, and Olipop has your back. Two out of three Americans suffer from digestive issues, and Olipop tackles that with a soda that tastes amazing. With nine grams of prebiotics in every can, it's the gut-friendly choice you've been waiting for. Now let's talk flavors. Vintage Cola. Classic root beer, my favorite, orange squeeze, classic grape, and more. It takes me back to those childhood days. And guess what? Olipop has way less sugar than traditional sodas. Vintage Cola only has 2 grams of sugar compared to the 39 grams of sugar in a regular Coca-Cola. Pretty impressive, huh? But it doesn't stop there. Olipop's drinks are non-GMO, vegan, paleo, and keto-friendly, with less than 8 grams of net carbs per can. They've got something for everyone. Ready to give Olipop a try? The Founder Hour listeners can get 20% off their next order with the code FOUNDER20. F-O-U-N-D-E-R 20. Head to their website, com or find Olipop in over 22,000 stores nationwide. Sophia, were you at all, like, like, mindset-wise, like, were you like aware of what you had done like like just coming from that 17 year old you know girl that left her house that was this rebel that just wanted to like do things that you liked was it like what the hell just happened type thing or was it more of a progression and we're just kind of skipping some it was a events? real shock to the system <laughs> yeah
2: you know i recommend that nobody with the level or lack thereof of education or experience that i had build a business at the speed that i did at the age that i did yeah. some people figure it out but and it's, and because the company was profitable from day one and i just i didn't spend any of the money there was so much money just sitting in in the in the company's wells fargo account i never really learned how to read a p&l early on like there weren't a lot of hiccups it was like okay like you know we something happened with shipping and things relate we'll deal with that but the real mechanics of of operating a business i didn't really learn other than like buy stuff sell it ship stuff it was pretty 101 mm-hmm. and then it exploded and i was i really was at a disadvantage not having ever worked in an office that my name wasn't on the lease of um ever seeing an example of what even leadership was I didn't know people needed to be told what to do. I thought that would be like insulting, Mm. you know, like you're not, you're not babies. Mm -hmm. But I really just didn't know because I never had, I just didn't have any empathy built for what teams needed to be successful. I didn't know what a fucking career was. Yeah. Nobody even told me I should be selling shoes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, but had you known, you feel like things would have been a little different.
2: I think so. Um, I don't know if I would have started a business, right? I you think could have talked yourself have out of doing it because so you might have complex, looked down the line and be like, "This doesn't make sense." My brain—I'm a creative, and that's you know a big part of why I got really far. Um, but I wouldn't have sat down and learned all that stuff because I didn't want to be a business person. I thought business people were like carried briefcases yeah. and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: I mean, this is like two, so 2006 or 2012 when you get the. Uh, funding from index ventures so six years you've already been building this business
2: yeah it was late 2000 like november 2006 so seven eight nine ten eleven twelve was when the money came in yeah Mm -hmm.
1: and what what made you decide this is time to like go out there and now raise funding
2: i didn't go out there it was all inbound people Mm -hmm. were like who's this freak how do we you know some associate calls and i'm like yeah this is what i'm doing bloop you know i've got a coo at that time and some you know, an HR person and maybe like twenty, twenty five people. Um, or no, maybe maybe yeah, maybe like yeah, maybe like twenty or twenty five. I I'd moved the company to LA at that time. Uh in like twenty eleven.
1: And you're still in your twenties at this stage?
2: Yeah, I was born in eighty four, so you know, twenty twelve I was like twenty what, six, seven, eight. 878 eight. Eight, yeah yeah i don't yeah. don't tell him i don't I'm not good at math <laughs> <laughs> um and it was like index you know an associate reached out and then i don't know if someone introduced me to jeff jordan i don't know if someone introduced me to jeremy lou but i didn't like go pitch people they were they were just like cool what is this mm-hmm. and so it was in 2012 when you know jeff jordan flew to la and Jeremy Liu flew to L.A. and Danny Reimer flew to L.A. And I met these guys like, you know, over a decade ago. Fab.com was the thing in 2012. Mm-hmm, and It was like mm-hmm. One King's Lane, Beachment, mm-hmm. Diego Berdakin was a friend. Like, yep, yep. you know, all that stuff was happening.
1: Is that the Uber guy? Uh,
0: he's, he started Cloud Kitchens with Travis Kalanick. That's right. Yeah he was yeah. a professor at usc when i was a student there so
2: i spoke to his class
0: really okay uh-huh. I, I didn't take his class i wish i did but um, he's very cool i haven't
2: seen him yeah. in so long it but, was him and michael brew
0: kim i think yeah, yeah
2: yeah he's a friend it was the first time i had seen a business person sit on a sofa with no shoes on cross-legged and i was like it was all startupy you yeah. know he actually had My like people the stretched out this was cr- diego yeah i had yeah. never been to a startup office before I'd never seen like this casualness that like a startup founder yeah. had sitting cross, like who sits yeah. cross-legged on a sofa in a meeting? I didn't. So to, I do. Yeah. I am right now. <laughs> yeah. um, and ultimately I was like, okay, so, you know, I owned hundred percent of the business index was like, cool. It's worth 350 million. And I was like, cool. So <laughs> you're going to invest 50 and all own 80% of my company. I'll take some money off the table cool and i bought this house in 2012 Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and that was a really that was a really life-changing changing changing moment but it also like
1: give us that moment though like i mean somebody tells you that your company's worth whatever 350 million dollars like and did you know that going into that meeting no yeah
2: no i was you know i had a um consultant friend dana freed who was from the apparel world and he was like don't raise money you don't need to and if you do the longer you wait the less you'll have to sell i was like cool and th- i understood that um i didn't know that a 10x valuation was insane because i didn't really set it i didn't i didn't like i didn't have multiple term sheets i wasn't right. like well index has one so hey Lightspeed, what do you think you know yeah. danny was like i get it you have a community and that word wasn't really a thing but i was yeah. like yeah i do that's what nasty gal is it like makes it changes the way people feel about themselves when they wear these clothes it was mm-hmm. so much more than clothing and he got that and i was like and i liked index and he had great taste and i'd never made a deck in my life before so they made a deck and they, they put, being indexed, index one of the associates themselves. yes they put all the info about the company in there and <laughs> they just said can you explain this to the partnership and they invested fifty million dollars, which is like really naive on my part, yeah. pretty irresponsible on their part. Mm-hmm. Um, but hey, it was a it was an awesome ride. Yeah, the best. And the
0: and the idea was that you would remain is it the CEO and run run it for the foreseeable future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so and then um, I guess what ended up happening ultimately.
2: Yeah. So I built it from you know when they invested, we were on an upswing from twelve to twenty eight. In revenue, profitably. And then, of course, it's like venture. It's like, grow at all costs. And so we just, me and my new board, you know, put our fingers in the air and said, well, what do we want to do next year? And we were like rounded up by 100 million. We were like, 128. And so we like hired 100 people in a year and hired like a C, everything O. Yeah. And-
1: C-A-O-C-B-O-C-C-O-C-B. You know, I don't know
2: how to integrate. I don't know what process is. Everyone was like, redundant and bumping into each other it was back and to
1: like the bells ringing
2: it was it was it was yeah it was but it was just like i don't know i don't know how to hire 100 people and have them understand like what to do because i have no idea what they're doing and mm-hmm. i thought you know i hired executives who had had careers longer than i had been alive and i <laughs> was like, wait, I'm sorry, I have to hold you accountable? I learned that the hard way. And I just thought like these grown-ups would show up and diagnose what happened and work together and go do the thing when they said they were going to do it because I thought that's what people did. But I'm not a scientist, but I heard that in quantum physics, things that are observed behave differently than things that are and people uh, are the same. That was a tough lesson. So. It took longer than a year to get to over 100 million in revenue, but it happened. Uh, well, we what did you guys do to get there? Like, blew through a ton of money, uh, hired a ton of people. Just like marketing. Paid marketing. Yeah, it was like, I mean, it was exploding on point. its own. That was revenue. Got yeah. Um, so got to over 100 million in revenue around the time I wrote this book called Girl Boss. Mm
1: hmm hashtag girl boss
2: hashtag girl boss i mean in 2014 i put like a hashtag at the beginning of a book and it like i think it worked because there's like 25 million hashtag girl bosses on instagram now yep i don't want them all to be attributed to me because it's been like 10 years since i wrote it nine years since it um was published but that became a whole thing That was distracting, but, you know, it spent 18 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list and sold half a million copies and Mm -hmm. it went on this big, like, road show and became even more the poster child of entrepreneurship. It was, that was pretty crazy. Um, And then sales just kind of, like, leveled out. We weren't growing as much. We were super unprofitable. Uh, I don't know. I don't like know exactly what those numbers were. I had a CFO. And what was the urban vision, outfitters though? forever? like between
0: you and your investors and the board and everybody, like what was the vision of where you wanted to take it? I mean, was it something that you yeah. talked about, like exit strategy? like, do we want to sell this company? do, want, do we want it to go public?
2: Yeah, um, I think my investors thought it would go public. You know, the expectation when you raise it a three hundred and fifty million dollar valuation is that the next time you raise money it's yeah. uh the company's somehow worth a billion dollars. Right. Yep. But Stock we were ticker
1: N S T Y Yes. Nasty. But
2: we weren't even doing like, you know, the twenty eight million in revenue that we were on that like was a twelve month forward facing run rate. Yeah. Like when they said it was worth three fifty. So it was just like, you know, that I don't think I really understood what I was signing up for. I keep my promises i always plan on keeping my promises but what that promise was i don't think i was able to grasp at like 26 years old with like Mm -hmm. you know i still can't build a pivot table
1: (laughs) (laughs) so maybe you could give us a lesson in valuation here because like i don't understand i still don't understand like how the venture valuations work really um but if a business is doing 28 million in revenue who like which genius says that it's worth huh. 350 million like i don't i don't really understand that concept maybe i'm not smart enough but i would like to know because i want to start a business that makes 10,000 and then just sell for like 120,000 those are like pretty like <laughs> i could just keep doing that
2: yeah that's like that's a much better yeah you know build a profitable business sell it. sell it for 10x 10x 000. 4x yeah whatever, yeah. whatever. Yeah. you pocket you buy or build a company yeah. that's doing 15 million in revenue and you sell it for 30 and you own 100 percent of it like yeah. you're in pretty good shape if you put cash in the bank yeah. like that's that's a really successful exit i think everybody thinks they need to build like a hundred million dollar business but guess what you don't want to deal with co- what comes with that right. and you don't i mean raising hundreds of millions money. of dollars what
1: <laughs> minus the money
2: yeah, money's great, but yeah. you know, the chance of an exit when you're you've got this three hundred and fifty million dollar price tag on your head is way lower, I think, than a company that has really healthy metrics. Mm-hmm. But seriously, um, how do they explain themselves? How do they explain themselves? So um part of it is like, all right, what's happening in the market based on comps with public companies? So in retail, there was more traditional retail, uh, where Private equity guys might have valued a more traditional non ecom retail business, physical retail business at like 2x or 2.5x. Um, and that's the valuation they would place on one of those companies, which kind of makes sense. I mean, fashion is not technology. You know, mm-hmm. technology is different and the valuations that come with, yeah. I think, technology companies. Is it that tied have a, to
0: like the scalability of it?
2: It's tied to the scalability yeah. of it. It's also tied to what's going on in like the, the venture markets. market. Yeah. yeah, the market's doing great in general. Um people are really optimistic. So, you know, in the last few years, and this changed at, like the end of last year, mm-hmm. companies with like not even a million dollars in like ARR were getting 100 million dollar valuations, 50 million dollar valuations. It's crazy. It's crazy. And yeah. they're so fucked.
3: So and fun. I'm, yeah. you know,
2: and I've angel, I angel, I invested in some of them, even one that's a, that had a $25 million yes. valuation. They've like recapitalized, um, Down and rounds. yeah, now they're worth like nothing, nothing. Well,
1: they were never worth anything, but somebody told them they were.
2: I mean, the value of something is the price that someone's willing to pay. Totally. Um, that's like, that is the value of something and that value can change over time. Yeah. Um, So I think, you know, and so it's, it is, there's a certain amount of like pixie dust can be based on the founder's track record. Like we work guy, you know, if he was some rando not going to happen, you know? So there's a lot of different factors who's involved, you know, who's already backing them, um, what their experience is, what the opportunity in the market is, obviously what their idea is, Mm -hmm. um, their ability to hire and, um, you know, scale a business. How great of a product person they might be. What's their domain expertise, mm-hmm. yeah. and then also all the weird. And then th- there's this like the sheep kind of mentality of venture folks, where sometimes one person will say it's worth this much, and then everyone's like, "Okay, we agree."
0: You're a smart guy. You must be right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, so what what ultimately happened where you decided to leave oh yeah nasty guy <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah
2: i know what you're trying to get to <laughs> um <laughs> we want to move on to the i just to the wanted to make sure that too. i said that i built it to over 100 million in yeah, revenue before we 100%. get to this yeah, so um after 10 years of building this business my entire fucking youth yeah. yeah now it's 2016 um we've had people approach us to buy the company for over 400 million, but that's not enough of a markup. Mm-hmm. I own mean, 80% of the company when an outfitter of that sells urban apparel, uh, offered over $400 million for the company. And I had control, but I took advice and the advice was like, ask for more, turn it down and it went away, whatever, everything goes away. Anyway, deals, no deal happens. And so I watched that happen. Uh, where it was like, okay, we could do a round down, down round. Or okay, maybe e uh at 10X multiples aren't a thing right now, fashion. Um, so VCs don't want to invest at that kind of a multiple, which is not going to make my investors happy if they're, you know, if I'm raising at a f you know, a flat round or a yeah. down round. And um I think Nasty Gal became the kind of company where a private equity investor would have been the ideal. Right. And I spent time with those guys um, who had in, in, you know, been involved with like Theory and Rag and Bone and great brands and big, big companies, but weren't necessarily in this world of like ASOS and fast fashion. And they, you know, I'd get them on board and they started kind of disappearing and I just didn't really know what happened. And I think ultimately, and when I heard later on, when I asked like, Hey, where'd you go? Like that was seemed like that was going to happen. You know, they were like, I talked to your investor, your CFO, or someone who were like, if you can't pay more than 350 million, like don't show up. Hmm. And so there was like this, like silent cock blocking that happened yeah. for a little while. And then it became, okay, let's raise a down round fine 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 like cash really sucks you know after that um and we did and index um basically i put my own money back into the company and never saw it again um at that point i had hired a ceo for the last like year and a half because i hated that job
3: yeah Um, and then it became hail Mary, mary
2: you know it was like it wasn't like oh let's raise a down round and find a great private equity who can take us to a billion dollars because they've got distribution and shops and they're strategic and they understand apparel, unlike our, you know, venture investors. So it became that, and then it became like hail marys, and the hail marys never, you know, we hailed, but like yeah. the cab, never, never the came. cab never stopped. Ew. So um, ultimately, Nasty Gal filed for Chapter Eleven at the end of 2016 on the day Trump was elected. like bonkers six months after i was on the cover of forbes and like a
0: nice date though to go bank because everyone's talking yeah the news cycle just yeah i would like to say it it got swept under the news cycle
2: but like not really it's it was still a pretty loud flop you know know, it was (laughs) like wall street journal it was like it was you know i had i was really out there so you know they had been making this netflix series Mm-hmm. Based on my book called Girl Boss that Shirley's Theron produced. Mm-hmm. And they were, sh- you know, shooting it while things were going great with Nasty Gal. Not as great behind the scenes, but still kind of it could have pulled it off. And it was four months later, after we filed for Chapter 11, that this Netflix series came out with a character named Sophia starting an eBay store called Nasty Gal, streamed into a 130 130 million homes in 195 countries in pretty much every language broadcasting the person i was when i was 22 When for the first time in my entire life i'm not involved with that thing hmm. so now there's like a big pr campaign about who i was and a lot of people hadn't heard of nasty gal so there's those people who are like oh cool great story and then there was the press who was like okay so there's the girl boss Sophia who did layoffs and she's a villain and then there's the CEO Sophia there's the you know and now there's this scripted comedy with a made up character mm-hmm. who's kind of who's kind of abrasive you know pretending to be me and there was just this huge conflation of like who is this person yeah,
0: and you weren't involved at all with that like i, I was just based on i was the a producer of yeah. on the
2: show yeah. by way of it being an adaptation oh, you, of right. my book but i wasn't i didn't have script approval got it i did not want to like micromanage interesting, be, Like, because like i wouldn't have ass- said no but being like I'm too vain to be the person that would say I wouldn't have said it like that. Like I'm actually too vain to be that person. So and creatives hate it. Like so, I was like, great, these people are talented. We'll make a great show. So that was like that was harder than I think the 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 nasty gal face plant. Yeah, because there's people whose jobs in entertainment that are called like literally critics. Mm -hmm. So I had been criticized, but now there's people criticizing this character, and there's headlines like. The worst thing about Netflix's "Girl Boss" is its source material. Oh boy, yeah. and you get you get it on your podcast somehow. Mm-hmm. Well, here, it is.
1: Hmm. That's crazy. The, the worst. Um, yeah. a oh, question. Because um, I know a lot of the women in my life. I know. I, know, I, just, I just thought of this, uh, but a lot of the women in my life they get upset when I say "girl" and not "lady" when they're above eighteen. Why did you call it "girl boss" and not "lady boss"?
2: Oh, lady boss sounds awful. It does, right? For one. Yeah. yeah. If Doesn't someone flow. calls me a lady, their English is usually not their first <laughs> language.
1: Yeah. And
2: I'm like, they're like, okay, lady. I'm like, um. Lady, you please. Yeah. Lady. lady. Lady's yeah. never good. Isn't
1: it derogatory?
2: No, it's not derogatory. It depends on how you say and it. And girl is like, you know, diminutive. It's like, oh, you're less, you're, hey, kiddo, kind of.
1: Hey, bud. But.
2: Yeah, Bud's better.
1: No, Bud and Champ are I prefer, two of the worst words in the world.
2: I just like call me a bimbo. I don't ca- like. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. But um, at the time, people weren't like, "I'm a boss. I'm not a girl boss." And that book, you know, literal kind of okay, girl boss was the name of the book, but similar to Nasty Gal. Like then it wasn't about the name. Google's not about the name. It was kind of, it was about what it did. Yeah. And that book inspired so many people and it was a year after lean in and there was no book written by a goofy community college dropout woman. It was like Susie Orman and Sheryl Sandberg, you know, these like ladies. um, who had written this a book that showed a generation of people and mostly women that all you need is an internet connection and a free trial to something and now Shopify and all these amazing tools by the time i mean even some of them by 2014 Good. when the book came out but like holy shit like they could see themselves the girl from Sacramento could see herself as a business person and a cool one oh my god cool people do this yeah and they have fun doing it and the clothes are cool and like what you know so it i think it just became this like you know girl boss became this calling card for people who weren't arguing over girl or lady they were just like fuck yeah like this is crazy i can do this
1: yeah did you was that your intention like did you set out to inspire people or did you just set out to tell your story and then in doing so people were inspired i mean like because nowadays you'll have just people that have like a master class for everything they do it's like i earned eight figures selling on amazon it's like okay you didn't but it's okay but like what was your intention
2: i wanted to inspire people i wanted to share a story that was really unlikely i mean i was like hitchhiking in big rigs when i was 18 these stories are all pretty entertaining and i do start the book with talking about smearing poop on the wall Mm. um so it's, yeah, it's it's like part mm-hmm. memoir, but it's also part business advice. And it's, you know, there's there's illustrations that were square, so you could point your phone at them and like post it on Instagram mm-hmm. in square format, which was like the only format. Pretty interactive. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to make these cool, you know, it's a hashtag. I'm going to make it shareable. I'm going to make people feel, feel really good about reading this book because the chapters are short and engineered a great feeling just because someone got through a chapter like oh, yeah. I, it's so hard to get through chapters i mean this i don't know for a lot of people listening that may not be the case but it is such a great feeling
1: that's why we did this podcast because we stopped reading books and we're like we <laughs> gotta just tell these people's stories on a podcast which is about it's probably better
2: yeah you get to thing. sit down and learn from people like
1: yeah yeah yeah
2: and you can do
0: it while doing other things it's the nice thing like reading a book you just have to kind of sit down yeah, and not do anything else and just like read. And also but,
2: depends on how you learn. Like I learn in conversation. Yeah. I learn through hearing people's stories. Yeah. You know, I I do read, but I also I'm pretty ADD, and yeah. you know, again, I'm very kind of experiential learner. So, uh-huh.
0: so you decide, you know, to ride that wave and create like this whole media company out of mm-hmm. the yeah. Book's so then response. I was like,
2: oh shit! All I've got to write on is this girl boss thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm unemployable. Yep. I'm not involved with Nasty Gal. I'm not going to go raise money. Like I, but I was like, I'm damaged goods. But uh, whatever. I'm just going to do this girl boss thing. And so, yep. at the same time, the Netflix series came out, mm-hmm. which was a really challenging time. So four months after Nasty Gal face plants, I'm like, I'm going to do a conference because there's so many people that were still inspired. It girl boss became noisier than yeah, yeah. hundred million dollar company. Yep. And so I was like, I'm going to do this thing called the Girl Boss Rally, and you know, as I do, I just like throw things up on the internet. And I was like, here, cool, tickets for sale, 500 tickets. And I just announce things, and and then I figure out how to do them. That's kind of like what I do now. Unfortunately, Um, I'm a venture investor, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but um, and so sold like 500 tickets to the LA the first Girl Boss Rally in LA. Got Shopify and. Really awesome brands to sponsor it because I had done some little influencery things, you know, before and had some some relationships. Um, got you know Sally Crockeck and Kevin Systrom and like amazing people on stage Emily Weiss and Ty Haney and um, some like big names to speak at that conference. Just awesome women that I had known for so long and had the privilege of getting to know. Through the podcast that I started in 2015, through getting invited to dinner things and go to going to Can Lions or whatever those things might be, um, who showed up? Like who showed up for me? You know, a lot of people are afraid of failure, and maybe this is the case for some of them. Maybe if you do some weird perverted shit, I don't know. But everybody showed up for me. Like I was, I had been, you know, slaughtered not that long prior, but all these people showed up. Nobody. I was like, oh my god, my publicist. I don't have a. I haven't had a publicist in years, but like agent i had an agent at WME. they don't do anything for me anymore but like at the time i was like fuck everybody's just gonna drop me like this is this is and that's not what happened it was really cool and encouraging and still really hard and scary to stand in front of people at that time and so it became this small small i mean it was a media company it did a few millions first year in revenue we did like four or five second year um it's first year in business. Did yeah. I say first year in revenue? Anyway, it's first year and I did did like a million and a half insane. or two the first year. Yes, yeah. Business. Actually, they should replace it. First year in it revenue. It should be. I like that. Be. Business necessarily yeah, might it doesn't, not mean revenue. It doesn't count until you yeah. it's a make new phrase, money. First year in revenue. Yes. Coined on the phone. Right. by Sophia. The word business doesn't exist anymore. No. No, um business. And so, raised a little money from Initialized, which is Alexis Sohanian and Lightspeed. Gary Tan. Um, Gary Tan. Um, and then at Lightspeed, it was Nicole Quinn, mm-hmm. you know, and I had known Jeremy for a long time. Didn't um, they have like an
1: Apple show at some point? They did. They had like an Apple TV show where it was like the Planet Voice. of the Apps. God. Yes. It was so cringe. Gwyneth
2: Paltrow was on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Gary V.
2: Gary V. was one of my investors <laughs> at Girl Boss. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, had some awesome folks, and ultimately, you know, we've watched all the media companies' yeah. face plant. Media was not quite on its way out. It was digital media, but it wasn't a media company where we had scale, where we could sell banner ads, where we, you know, so it was all very integrated. like You get an episode on the podcast and presence at the Girl bus Rally, and we've got this newsletter, and it was all very high touch. Yeah. That was like a custom proposal for each one of these, like, you know, media brands that, you know, these brands that we were working with. So it was very like human capital intensive. Um, I sold it at the end of 2019, right before COVID mm. um, and left in the middle of COVID. Um, we couldn't do events and brands were not spending money um, and decided to start something called business class, which was like, all right, this is going to be a lifestyle business. It's like, it's an online course. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. So. That's what I started doing in 2020 and still do. I, it's an online course for entrepreneurs. It's I launched two courts a year and it's super duper comprehensive. And when yeah. I say business class, it sounds boring. Yeah, but, but what did you, I'm curious, what did yeah. you
0: see that was missing? Um, obviously, there's so many places that you can go to learn, right? I mean, you can go to school, you can go to get your MBA, you can go to YouTube. You can. What was the missing piece that you thought, I'm going to solve this?
2: Yeah, I think the missing piece is someone who's been there. Um, curating all the things that they wish they knew and all the things that they've learned from people who knew it and told them about it, maybe after they already made those mistakes and Mm -hmm. who's worked with all the people with the MBAs, um, but also been the bootstrap founder feeling her, me, my, you know, way around in the dark. Um, You can, you know, the output's only as good as the input. With YouTube. So you should know you have to know what you're looking for and you have to know what you don't know often to find what it is that you need to learn that could work on, mm-hmm. you know, YouTube. Um, but it you know, that's a that's a long path. Um so in the same way that, you know, girl boss inspired people who are kind of accidental entrepreneurs, bootstrapped entrepreneurs, um, Business class really serves mostly bootstrap founders, really, really early stage founders, business, more like business owners almost. Yeah. Uh, most of the students in business class aren't like venture backed or backable companies. Um, and there's nothing cool. I mean, I just love brands. And so I know I've said business class is a podcast. You can't see anything. But if you go to businessclass.co um you can it's like the website itself is a master class in branding mm-hmm. like that alone should get you mm-hmm. like should make someone want to take it and i just i don't like toot my own horn with many things like everything because obviously like yeah i really haven't done everything right um but it's aviation themed so when i say business class you have to imagine me uh i usually have brown hair but i've got i'm wearing a pan am 1960s pan am flight attendant outfit. I've got like the bump, you know, the hair, I've got the makeup and like uh, everything is aviation themed. So nice. every one of the modules is called a flight, every one of the lessons inside of that is called a leg. We run for 10 weeks, but we have 3 break weeks which are called layovers. Like it is like endless copywriting like fun. Yeah. Our our online community is called the lounge. So it's just it is it is so fun and colorful and beautiful and it makes learning fun and I crack jokes and how much of your time um, is this
1: taking up right now at business class?
2: I launch two cohorts a year in the spring and in the fall. Um, and you're teaching it? I'm teaching it. It's it's on demand, so yeah. it's people can take it on their own time. Right. Even though we launch um, these cohorts and people have like 10 days to register um, twice a year, um, they're kind of guided through the content in that one flight is dropped per week. We don't want to overwhelm people. So after they enroll that monday we do a kickoff call and flight one they have flight one to take and then the following monday they have flight two and then maybe there's right. a layover so it's not taught live um it's really highly produced um and i do a weekly zoom call with the different expert yeah. you know like sam parr or the founder of like away or ClassPass, or really you know buzzfeed awesome people Um, where I'm just in conversation with them talking about entrepreneurship or what their specialty might, might be like marketing. Um, and so I do those live with students and every, you know, everything else is pretty asynchronous. Um, and my job is really to promote it. So in the spring for a month, I go super hard on Instagram. It's probably really annoying, run a ton of ads, um, to, you know, a a free class, Mm -hmm workshop webinar thing which is like a very formulaic way of launching online courses yeah. but yeah. i try to do it in the coolest way yeah like drive people through the funnel mm-hmm. uh get leads mm-hmm. convert them the and you know stuff. you know it's just like not rocket science So, if,
1: yeah, I'm, I'm curious like for you know obviously you've accomplished a lot as an entrepreneur as a business person and still are and you know i'm really more so curious about like you as a person like how you, number one, have dealt with all of this throughout your kind of young career. Um, And, you know, I know you mentioned, like, having ADD and just clearly are a very driven, motivated person, always have been, that also comes with challenges. I know myself, I know Pat knows herself, like, a lot of, like, driven people have those challenges with anxiety, perhaps, or depression, or um, you know, just being antisocial, right, whatever it may be, does that resonate at all with you? Or yeah, am, yeah. if
2: I'm not busy, I, I get kind of bummed. Yeah, and I don't have hobbies. Like I kind of tried surfing. <laughs> um, like doing things that don't benefit me in any way uh yeah. is really like hard. Yeah. Um, I just like learning, and yeah. I don't have like, my learning curve for anything I do. Literally, is like so steep that like I don't have time to do like rec i like left ted early like i got, somehow got invited to ted but i was like this is super extra this is like a ballerina talking about her experience like i need to go work yeah, yeah. <laughs> so <I'm> like <laughs> i don't have time to be inspired yeah um which sounds pretty hardcore but um, no, it makes sense.
0: No. um i know you're you also invest um you have yeah. a fund called yeah. trust fund we we're talking trust about fund. it for the podcast it's a brilliant name Thank i love you. it uh what's what's the whole story there why yeah. did you decide
2: so, I talked a little bit about feeling your, you know having felt my way around in the dark in two thousand seven with none of these no venmo, no stripe, no like Etsy, no cal no cloud right um, and so I felt every single pain point that entrepreneurs have when they're building businesses, both at the bootstrap super mm-hmm. early stage, uh also at the venture stage and growth stage, whether it's managing people or logistics and shipping stuff or marketing or um insurance you know there's so many different things that you have to learn there was no gusto or just works and so now you know looking at all of these tools that have emerged since i you know started my journey as an entrepreneur very enviously watching people have these awesome tools to build businesses with like i know what it is that they need just so on such a like you know deep level that that's what i'm investing in Mm -hmm. um so i yeah i started a fund i've been angel investing for the last mostly the last four years pretty successfully in companies like liquid death Mm -hmm. and public.com and eight sleep um superhuman really just stuff i love using kind body which is like a fertility startup I've done pretty well with that and just was like, okay, enough of my capital is locked up for 10 years, but I love doing this and I have great deal flow and I love working with entrepreneurs. And so I do that with mostly bootstrap founders and business class, but then also with companies that do have venture scalable businesses yeah. who can do, who can become unicorns, who could become public companies, who are you know built by people who have built public companies, you know, who have great um venture folks around them you know who who are helping them and they the valuations are not as crazy as they were in you know 2021 yep um so that's also it's a nice it's a hard time to be fundraising both as someone who's doing what i'm doing because i have to ask people for money and as a founder so people who are fundraising right now they really mean it Mm -hmm. they're not doing it to get some like fairy fairy dust valuation
1: but also probably the best time to invest because Ideally, I mean, nobody knows for a fact, but ideally, you know, it's at a time where it is tough and, you know, you see the stock market, you see real estate valuations, you see companies just that shouldn't have ever been valued as much as they were, but eventually things will get back to, you know, a positive place. I don't want to say as good as they were because I don't think a company that's doing 10 million in revenue should be worth 800 million, but it's going to get a lot better. It
2: will. Yeah. And the mandate from venture right. Like this word didn't exist in venture mm-hmm. is to be profitable.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: These companies, they're being pushed to find their way to profitability at ver- very early.
1: And when you say these companies, are you talking about the venture the funds venture, or the companies? The venture that are
2: in? the venture companies. I think yeah. there
0: was a big bubble, right? And like I think people became a lot smarter all across the board, whether it's I mean, we can talk, we could sit and talk all, all about like what happened in like 2020 with the SPAC boom and all this kind of stuff. Like people realized like if you're not a business that makes money, you, I mean, I don't know where this is going. Like there's really no place to go. Yeah. No.
2: Um. I mean, that's, yeah. it's like business 101.
0: Yeah. Um, Back to basics.
2: Yeah. I mean, there are some companies, all right, you're building stuff for space. You're, you know, developing a cure for cancer. You're, yeah. You know, there's stuff that's really ca- capital intensive when you start out. And ESG,
0: you know, like environmental stuff. Yeah, yeah.
2: there's there's stuff that you really need money for up front before the thing makes money. And some of those are such amazing ideas that they'll sell before they make money. So it's just like amazing products. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a lot of people can, you know, find an engineer, become an engineer, or, mm-hmm. you know, buy clothes and flip them. Or there's, you know, a lot a lot of companies don't need that level of investment to get started and find their way to profitability
3: yeah
1: and you're now like almost four decades of life and like going back to your 17 year old self as someone who said you know i just i don't want necessarily career and to like fit into a certain bucket or whatever it may be but i just want to do things i like i, I enjoy that things i don't actually hate um looking back the last now you know whatever 20 years that you've been building companies and communities and et cetera, et cetera. Like, are you content? Are you happy with where you are?
2: I mean, yeah, I'm, I always want to do more. I'm terrified of the jobs I keep giving myself and who am I to teach entrepreneurs? Who am I to be investing people's money? Like, you know, I'll always feel like an imposter, but that's the thing that drives me and makes me curious and gives me a different perspective, I mm-hmm. think, than everyone else who's doing the jobs that I'm doing. Um, I mean, I can wake up any day and look around at my life and think, you know, holy shit, I never thought I would like have a life like this. My parents are healthy. I have three poodles. I've got a hot boyfriend who's an incredible cook. Um, you know, there's I, there's nothing I could complain about right and when i do i'm like okay dummy like look around you
0: it's a delicate balance for sure of it, it is having this like ambition and wanting to do more but also just being content and happy with like what you have
2: yeah i mean yeah. what i have i still have to pay i still have to work right to maintain and right. it's fucking expensive <laughs> so there's that yep. um so am i motivated or am i you know just trying to stay in this house um that's not it's not that's an extreme way of saying it but you no know, i work for a reason not for fun
0: for sure well this has been uh nothing short of a pleasure yeah. to have you on the show um just hearing your story it's, it's insane I, I think like from from where you started and, and sort of the journey that you've had is incredible and uh you know i think uh, i speak for both of us uh when i say we can't wait to see what happens next i'm sure there's a lot yeah, coming
2: i hope so thank you yeah